It's the Atop the Pitbox podcast with your hosts, Zach and Josh. Good evening, fantasy NASCAR race fans. Welcome to the Atop the Pitbox podcast presented by ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com, your Lake of the Ozark vacation experts. On this episode, we are going to talk about last weekend's demolition derby at Coda and look ahead to this weekend's race at Richmond. Josh, Nort, how you guys doing? Doing well, Zach. Nort's got a mouthful of food, so he's giving the thumbs up, so I think he's good. He's in, he's in his happy place. Pizza, his favorite food. Zach, how are you doing, man? Did you uh, get a chance to watch the race and take your mind off other sporting events for the past week? The past yep, weekend? Let's, yep, let's move on. <laughs> uh, first off, just want to again thank everybody for listening. We, we appreciate you tuning in to the show each week. If you do enjoy the podcast, please, the best thing you could do is just tell your friends Anybody in the league that that you know, give them the the link. Let them know that we have this podcast out there, and, and let's continue to grow it. We are in round three of our fantasy NASCAR team name bracket, so we have only got a few teams left. Zach, do you have any uh, any teams in there? No, I am original and do not give my team uh, any creative names. So yeah, I I didn't either. I, I think if I would have known we were going to do this bracket. I probably would have picked a team name, but same here. I actually, came Josh, with some good as ones. we're recording this, we're down to the Elite Eight. So that Whoa. doesn't come out. Uh, those will come out about the same time we publish. I know one of those is a winner. My wife, she's uh, continues to to truck along. So unreal. Uh, let's take a look at NASCAR news for the past week. And Zach, we're going to start with. The suspensions that we mentioned on last week's podcast being handed down by NASCAR. We now have uh, some dates for these appeals. Yeah, that's correct, Josh. Uh, for, for some reason, I thought Hendricks was going to be this past uh, week, but that is not the case. Their appeal for the Louver fines and suspensions will be heard this Wednesday. And I'm sure everyone is going to be paying attention to how that one turns out because uh, I think Hendrick has a pretty good chance to win and or have the fine and suspension reduced based on the uh, evidence and discussion that Chad Knaus had with Bob Pockress last week. Did uh, Hendrick suspend their crew chiefs for this race as well? They've been out the last two weeks just trying to get ahead of this thing. So I think their thought process is they feel they've got a good argument. They feel that these are going to be reduced. Their thought maybe, you know, a two to three race suspension. So if that's the case, they've pretty much already served their, their suspension and they're good to go for the rest of the year. So uh, I like what they've done. It's a, the road course race, anything's possible there. So you might as well have uh, your crew chief sit that one out and then Atlanta as well. Super speedways really aren't that hard to call from a crew chief standpoint. So pretty smart on Hendrick's part. Uh, so we will see how their appeal goes on Wednesday. In regards to colleagues' appeal, that will be on April 5th. And then Danny Hamlin's appeal uh, will be heard on April 6th. So we will have some updates in regards to that uh, next week and the week after. So the timing of these appeals 
one Hendrick is this week, and then the other two are the following week. Is there a reason why they don't just do all of these all at once? Uh, based on the information I've been able to gather, it seems like it's a pretty lengthy process. NASCAR uh, is putting all their evidence and, and information together. To, it's it's almost like a trial, you know what I mean? So NASCAR is putting their stuff together to try to do the prosecution aspect of it. And then Hendrick is putting all their stuff together for the, for the defense. Uh, and, and it just takes time. Plus, they have to get the schedules to line up with the three three board member uh, for them to be able to hear this, this uh, appeal. So it just takes time from a timing standpoint. Uh, I'm not sure why they can't do all three at the same time. Uh, but because of how big Hendrick's case is, I think that's probably why they wanted to split up colleagues and Hamlin's uh to get away from Hendrick since this is this is one of the bigger monumental appeals that NASCAR is probably going to hear or or try to win uh since I have watched NASCAR in all all honesty do we have a prediction of what's going to happen I think Hendrick wins the appeal I don't know if that means they're going to have all the points given back and and defined to zero uh, I think it's going to be reduced, if anything. And like I said, I think the suspension, instead of four races, it'll be reduced to maybe two or three. Uh, the biggest piece to this whole thing is going to be the points aspect. I'm really curious to see if these drivers get their points back, because as we pointed out in the podcast last week, uh, because of the fines and because of the, because of the points uh, that were docked from these teams, Larson... Bowman are on the outside looking in. They're outside the top 16 in points without wins. Byron's locked in with the win. And then Chase is in a must-win situation with his injury waiver if they grant him the waiver uh, when it's all said and done. So the points aspect is going to be the key piece to follow in regards to this appeal. So I'm going to throw out a prediction. I have no reason to predict this, but I think what's going to happen is they're going to give him a two-race suspension, which they've already served. It's easy to to keep that and then whatever the fine i think it was a pretty hefty fine that they had to to pay a hundred thousand bucks to each team so 400 yeah. total so i think they're gonna to keep that and then they'll compromise and 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 get rid of the points because they didn't race so i think they're gonna have a a case to say well we didn't use this equipment in a race why are you docking us to points um so i think yeah they can i don't know feels like a, a compromise that they would kind of both sides NASCAR saves face and and the team still gets punished for for altering the equipment so they can't say they didn't do anything to them because I know there's a lot of Hendrick fans out there or Hendrick haters that uh say they have the advantage and all that stuff so just just something we'll see what see what happens actually but just wanted to see if you had a thought yeah I I think Hendrick would be completely content with uh with what you just said there, for sure. I mean, like I said, the points are going to be the biggest aspect. And if they can get those back, that would be huge because uh, all four or all three of their drivers, excluding Chase Elliott, were, were in the top 16 and having pretty solid years so far. So. so the other piece of news that came out uh, was that Chevrolet is going to stop the production of the Chevy Camaro in January of 2024. Can you kind of, I don't really know what the impact this will have on, on NASCAR, but obviously that's the car that the Chevy teams use. So what are your thoughts on, on this announcement? 
So this is, it's pretty big because uh, the Camaro, like you pointed out, is what teams are using in NASCAR and the Xfinity series. Um, But because the Camaro will be in production to start 2024, it will still remain a qualified, still remain qualified to race in Cup and Xfinity in 2024 and beyond if Chevy or if Chevy decides to keep using the Camaro as their production car or production body in those two series. Now, there are some people wondering if in 2024, uh, if NASCAR decides to switch and go to an all-electric race car. You're starting to hear more about this. Uh, there's already teams in NASCAR that use an all-electric race car for their practice pit stops. Joe Gibbs is one of those teams. So it can be done at least uh, with that type of, of practice or that type of car. Uh, now making that mainstream and making everyone use it and, and being able to keep, you know, make it a safe car and all that. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of things that they'd have to figure out. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see here in the next few years uh, if they do eventually move to an all-electric race car. And maybe this is just kind of the start of getting the ball rolling in regards to that. But uh, this is just another example of NASCAR kind of being in a time of of some pretty big growth and change. So we'll kind of see how, how this plays out. So I want you to go back a couple of weeks. You and I sat in a booth at, at work with a coworker and we brought up this, this topic and you and him were pretty adamant that electric cars would never make it into NASCAR. So now we're talking about potentially having a, an electric car down the road. Is this something that's really, you think is going to be a a real possibility here? I would say the odds are better than 50, 50 that NASCAR will eventually have an all electric race car. But wasn't the issue, the, the torque and the amount of horsepower that it needs and to be able to run that long battery wise. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of things that they would have to get figured out and maybe they they go to some type of hybrid version where you have some gas, uh, but you still have batteries. I mean, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is with these cars and the safety issues that they're having, can you imagine having a giant battery pack on these things and and wrecking at 180 190 miles an hour so i mean that's the first thing that they'd have to get figured out is the safety aspect but i don't think it's crazy to think that you know in five to ten years that we we're seeing some type of hybrid or an electric type uh race car that's that nascar is using and that's just kind of the way Things are are moving, and I think eventually they'll get there. I think it's going to still be a while before that happens, but I I really do think that eventually that that will happen. Can you imagine going to a NASCAR race and it being quiet, like there's no <laughs> there's no roar of the engines, and there's there's no smell of the of the gasoline, and you know they they might they have to like start piping that stuff in so that people could <laughs> like white noise. Yeah, they put they put noise machines on the on the cars to make it sound. Like Everybody's that. wearing headsets to 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 make noise <laughs> instead of keep the noise out now. Yeah, yeah. Strange, so, strange, we'll, uh, strange times. We'll we'll see how it plays out, man. But again, 
Uh, I think it's going to be a long time before that happens, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, and when it does happen. So is there a chance that Chevy's not part of NASCAR after 2024 then? So they, they came out and said that they are going to be part of NASCAR uh, for the future. It's just a matter of, do it, do they bring out a new car and that's the body that they, or, or the, or the type of car model that they decide to make in NASCAR or, or have the the uh, team switch to, or is this going to be a whole brand new concept? It's going to be long interesting is it, to see. How long has it been the, the Chevy uh, Camaro? Well, back in the day, it was a Monte Carlo. Uh, I think, I don't know if the Lumina was part of it or not, but Monte Carlo was there for a really long time. And then it switched um, sometime after that. So this isn't totally um, uncalled, uh, unheard of. Like manufacturers have switched the models that they've used previously. Yes. Yes. It just it's doesn't happen that often. Correct. So Camaro debuted in 2013 in the Xfinity. It went to Xfinity first. It hasn't wow. been in cup for that long. Um, the issue now though, is manufacturers are getting away from sedans altogether or cars altogether. Everything's going to crossover. So before there was a Monte Carlo, there was a Camaro, there was Luminas. Now there's, are they going to run Equinoxes? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. We're going to have Chevy Equinoxes. <laughs> nope, it's going to be a bunch of Chevy Volts. Chevy <laughs> Volts out there. Yeah. Wow, only so 10 years. I would have thought it would have was way longer than that. That's not that long at all, but very interesting. But these manufacturers, I mean, the big thing that they're doing and have been doing over the last couple of years is they want the car on the track to look as close to possible as the production model car that they produce for consumers. So that's another key element to this uh, as you think about what they're going to do moving forward. And that's just the idea behind a stock car, right? Like you're taking a, a, exactly. a general car. So if they went away from that and just made a car just for NASCAR, kind of takes away the the stock car part or the stock part of that. Yep, because they, they're they trying to sell as many of these cars as possible. And obviously, if if you being a Chase Elliott fan and say you've you've got $40,000 to spend, you might pick a Chevy Camaro over a Dodge Challenger because of your ties to Chase Elliott. At least that's what all of these manufacturers are thinking. So I've never made a decision on a car that I'm purchasing based on my NASCAR driver, but I guess I haven't been a NASCAR or NASCAR fan for that long. To to to, I do drive a Chevy though, so I I do do look down at the Chevy emblem sometimes in my Malibu, and you know think I have a nine on the hood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm going down Dodge Street, you know, cruising 35 miles an hour. <laughs> you know, car seat in the back, just like just like the stock cars. Oh yeah. <laughs> we move to the race recap. And we are talking about this weekend's race at the uh, Circuit of the America in Austin, Texas. And this was a race, Zach, that I I actually really enjoyed. I don't know. We'll get your thoughts in a second. But no cautions at stage breaks was very refreshing to me. I that, I don't want to do it all the time, but I thought that was a, a nice little twist. Um, I loved the, the restarts, especially at the end. I know some people were complaining about the, the cautions and stuff, but overall I was thoroughly entertained and uh, also got to hear 
uh, Chase Elliott and see Chase Elliott on the broadcast, which was which was awesome. What did you what did you think about the race? I thought it was a solid road course race, uh, but the last couple overtimes really started to no- annoy me. Uh, having no true stage costings made for some interesting racing, especially when it comes to pit strategy and, and fuel strategy and fuel mileage. So that was really fun to watch. And I thought that was the most interesting aspect of the entire race. Uh, however, the restarts and overtime turned into another demolition derby, which unfortunately is kind of how these road course races have turned into, especially late in the race, uh, especially in restarts and overtime. So that kind of sours my opinion of the race overall. I, I wish these drivers would drive with more respect, but um, it, it just doesn't appear that there's any respect anymore in the garage area uh, when it comes down to, say, the last five or ten laps of these races. So looking at our storylines, I want to start with with the one that you just mentioned, and that's the the, the restarts, especially towards the end in the, in the, the last 12 laps, like you mentioned and, and the cautions and just turn one, basically give me your thoughts on those restarts and what, what you mean by drivers not having respect for each other. Well, so you think about the first couple stages of the race and yeah, there were wrecks, but the, the leaders were battling door to door. Uh, they were racing clean. They were racing with respect. They weren't just cleaning each other out in the corners. So that to me is racing. But then you fast forward to the last 10 laps and how many wrecks did we see going into turn one? Essentially, these guys were dive bombing each other. Chastain being the primary example, getting into his own teammate, which then took out Martin Truex. Um, And it just didn't, to me, that's not racing. I mean, anybody can drive into a corner and take guys out to try to get a better position. Uh, I know that Denny Hamlin uh, early on today mentioned on his podcast that he thinks there needs to be changes in regards to these overtime or late race restarts, especially on road course races. And I never thought about it, but to me, it does make a lot of sense. He thinks they should go back to single, uh, single wide or, or, uh, single re single race car restarts, essentially one lane restarts, uh, that would prevent or help reduce a chance of going four and five wide and just dive bombing each other. Uh, because the last 10 laps of race shouldn't take an hour. So I agree with Denny Hamlin on this. I rarely agree with that man, but in this case, I, mean, I, I think we're going to have a clip show of all the times that you agreed with Denny Hamlin at the end of the year, is... because <laughs> Uh, are you going to be rocking starting the up. shirt here soon? <laughs> never, never. Um, but I do so agree let, with him there. So, that, I mean, again, the, the, the race from an overall standpoint was fantastic, in my opinion, with the, the different strategies involved and the fuel mileage and, and just the number of, of good road course racers racing up front. But it turned into a demolition derby, and it's absolutely annoying to me because it takes zero talent for drivers uh, to do what they do at the end of these races on, on road courses. So I don't think you're wrong. And we saw it last year with a lot of the road courses and a lot of people complained about how it, people were just throwing their cars in and, and crashing and pushing people up the track and all that stuff. Last week's podcast, when you broke down this race and this track, 
you called turn one Calamity Corner. So to me, this track is set up for the drivers to do that. If they, I, I don't know what else you want the drivers to do when it comes down to it's time to win a race. You have you're in a corner. You're not going to just let everybody go by because you want to be the clean racer. So I don't the the single lane uh, one car wide uh, restarts would solve that in my opinion. And so that may be something that we look at and we can end this, but when you're going to line them up too wide, I just don't know how you expect anybody to, to not take that chance when there's so much at stake, almost like they so, set it up for that. Yes. And no, if you think about, but, but for real. So if, if you're in, in say the first, first six cars, okay. Yeah. That would make sense. You have a chance to win. But Chastain restarted like fifth, sixth, seventh row back and dive bombed going five wide in the corner trying to get to, you know, third, fourth, fifth. He's not going to win the race doing that. If anything, he's going to wreck himself trying to do that. So there's time, there's a time and a place for you to make that kind of move. But the drivers who are doing it from fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth row back, that is where the problem is. And to me, uh, again, it's just a lot, lack of respect. And uh, yeah, turn one is by far one of the most exciting corners of any road course races at Coda that we have in, in NASCAR. But there's got to be a better way to to get through turn one other than just dive bombing and, and trying to, to bounce your way off other cars and get a better finish. To me, that's not racing. So I got to come to the defense of my boy Chastain real quick because you're bashing him too much. The only Everyone reason... Was he was that far back is because he was victim of the same thing. So at some point you can't say that there's no winning drivers in the back. It's because he got knocked out and then had to do that to get to the front. And it worked. They're did just Chast mad because he made it work. I'm not, dude, I, I don't care. I, did Chastain get wrecked in turn one or was that a different corner? Uh, I don't know that. I know he got wrecked. He got wrecked. And I can't remember who it was by. I and I can't remember if it was turn one, but there were plenty of other drivers who got wrecked during the race who did not do what he did with three laps to go. So uh there's also nobody that did the Hail Melon, and everybody loved that too. So I, well, I agree with you. There and is now a it's respect banned. issue there. <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, but again, he, it's I, just I guess think if, that... if, if you're on the right side of this, then you loved it. But if, if one of your drivers were taken out, which quite a few of my, like my favorite driver, Martin Truex in third place on the restart, minding his own business. One of the cleanest drivers in NASCAR going to turn one. And guess what happens? Chastain dive bombs, tries to go five wide freems into Alex Bowman, who then crashes Suarez and then crashes Truex. Truex spins out, finishes, you know, thank God he comes back and finishes in the that's top why, 20. That's why Chastain keeps coming up, because uh, he got to Martin yeah. Truex. Shit, Blaney, Blaney got knocked out, started in the back, and got knocked out from the back. <laughs> I guess so. my point is that when you set up these, you you put all the pieces in place for this to happen, and then you get mad about it happening. It, it then, then change the way that it's set up, because the drivers know what's going to happen, it, it the the turn is set up. It's like a U-turn that they have to do. 
it was super exciting for a viewer to watch the cars fan out and then them all funnel into this little turn. It was, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I get that it's not racing. And I understand why, if, if that would happen to me, why I would be upset, but I don't, I just don't understand why people are surprised that this is what happens. Like this, I don't, I I don't think told people you this are surprised. I don't think that's the thing. I don't think people are surprised. I think it keeps happening. I mean, we saw it all last year in road course races and I've been saying this since day one It's not racing to me. It's ruining road course racing. Like road course racing is really fun to watch, but it's getting really old when you know what's going to happen in the last 10 laps of these races. And maybe the single file restarts is the way to go and, and helps to prevent that. And, and then we don't have, have this issue. Cause like you said, it was a, a good race. This was a, an entertaining race from, from really even the, the first stage through the, the third stage. Um, you touched on it earlier with the main storyline being the fuel strategy that this race produced because there were no set cautions for, for stage breaks. So teams kind of were able to go on different pit strategies. We saw a couple different ones uh, taking place. Kind of walk us through what that what those teams op- what the options were for the teams and and kind of what how that fell into place. Yeah. So what these teams did is the race was was it wasn't it like sixty eight. The the original race schedule was like sixty eight laps long, and so they worked their they they work themselves backwards uh, based on fuel mileage. So a lot I would say half the field was on a three pit stop strategy. So they were essentially breaking the 68 laps down into three pit stops. And then there was another half of the field that we're going to try to do this in two stops. And as the first two stages played out, it was really exciting to watch and really fun and entertaining to see what drivers were on which strategy. And then is it going to work? Which strategy is going to be the one that actually lets them win the race or get, puts them in a position to win the race. Um, unfortunately, Brad Keselowski uh, brought a caution out with, I think it was 12 laps to go. And essentially that got rid of everyone's strategy right there. And, and if you watch the race, there were some drivers who were going to be a couple laps short on fuel and that saved their race most likely. And then you had some drivers who were on the three pit stop strategy, like Tyler Reddick was one of them, for example, he was good to go on fuel and charging through the field and was probably still in a good position to to have a chance to win the race, but that kind of equalized things. Uh, And then the last 12 laps plus the overtimes, you really didn't have any issues or worries or concerns about uh, fuel mileage because of that caution that Brad Keselowski brought out. We haven't really even mentioned it, but Reddick did win this race. And uh, part of that was he, he had to defend those. Was it three restarts? Was it three? Was that at least over, three? Two overtimes and then a three three total restarts. So, I mean, him and, him and Byron were the fastest cars throughout the day. And it was clear. And And how did they race each other? clean door to door I'm, yes it was absolutely awesome absolutely clean it was awesome and i don't think anybody was uh disappointed with that at all I, it was awesome it was great back and forth racing between those two and that it was impressive for for tyler reddick 
to hold off the field three times. I mean, especially with that with that one corner, we talked about how how chaos, how chaotic it is with those cars just diving in there, and for him to survive three times was was pretty impressive. I want to bring up, get your thoughts on one other driver who who had a a pretty rough day, uh, and that's Bubba Wallace. He made uh, a pretty big, big mistake at, at Coda, and then was pretty pretty hard on himself. Yeah, when it when it happened, it, it was almost like Kyle Larson at I believe it was was it Watkins Glen last year, uh, when yeah. it looked like he had complete brake failure and uh, was a really scary incident. And that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, man, this looked like it looks like he lost his brakes. But come to find out, that was not the case at all. He was just overdriving the car, trying to do uh, a little too much, uh, missed the corner and plowed into Kyle Larson and, and Eric Jones as well. Uh, unfortunately, Bubba Wallace suffered the most damage and uh, was out for the day after that. Um, and he was interviewed and basically said uh, he flat out messed up and needs to be replaced. And I was just like, oh, gosh, like um, he, he's so hard on himself. And but when he gets interviewed, he just makes some crazy comments if he's had a bad day. So uh, you, you feel bad for the guy because he's trying to do the best he can. But. Uh, unfortunately overdrove the corner overdrove the car uh, and then made comments say yeah I, I'm kind of a hack and I, I need to be replaced which obviously is not true he's got talent and, and he's shown that he can win in the cup series but uh, just an unfortunate day for Bubba Wallace he's very polarizing and I don't think he does himself any favors when he does an, an interview and he makes a overly dramatic comment and then walks off like it's like i really want to like you but when you do things like that it's like ah, oh, just it's just not not a good look for him and yeah, and i agree and hopefully I mean, obviously everyone knows he's not going to be replaced and then he's you know it's just so dramatic that i i think he could he could handle that a little bit better i think i, I think it's almost like reverse psychology he, he's <laughs> trying to do reverse psychology to make it that situation better than what it is. I mean, that's how it comes across to me and it's really annoying, but that's, that's how he handles, you know, bad situations. And uh, like you said, we know he's not going to be replaced at least in the short term. Um, but hopefully he can, he can uh, move on from this and, le and learn how to become a better road course racer. Cause uh, he's had some pretty tough luck on road course races in his career. Post race. We had a little bit of action with, Daniel Suarez, who was not happy with how that race was, was uh, how that race finished. Daniel Suarez had an in-car camera in his car and on the cool down lap, he was still driving his car as if it was green. And he was going after the two drivers that he thought wronged him the most. The first driver he went after was his teammate, Ross Chastain. And they were going into a corner and he just cleaned him out and pushed him out of the way. And he then proceeded to go after Alex Bowman on pit road, which we will see if Daniel Suarez gets issued a fine because he was doing some dangerous stuff by uh, pushing Bowman's car. There's people all around. Uh, it made it for a kind of a dangerous situation. Uh, but the camera in his car showed that he parked next to Bowman after the race and Bowman got out and started talking to him. And essentially what Bowman said is, is you're mad at the wrong guy. Your teammate 
aka Ross Chastain, dive bombed Alex Bowman, who then pushed Bowman into into uh, Suarez and caused Suarez uh, some damage and maybe some or not maybe definitely caused him some hurt feelings. So after that. There was also some cameras on pit road that caught the interaction between Chastain and Suarez. And the, the piece of the conversation that I was able to hear was Chastain told Suarez not to act so high and mighty. And then Suarez basically said something to the effect of uh, you essentially die bombed Alex Bowman and, and essentially almost took both of us out. So we will see if those two teammates reconcile during the week or if this potentially lingers on uh throughout the season uh but Chastain continues to be a headline it continues to be a topic of conversation in regards to rough driving aggressive driving and you've got to wonder at what point does he get it through his head or does somebody driver wise besides Denny Hamlin take it into their own hands and show Chastain that he's got to figure out how to drive cleaner and with more respect than he's doing now. Last year, we saw Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson have a uh, incident at the end of a race, and they were able to work through their differences. So we'll see if Chastain and Suarez can do the same thing with, with their differences here. Have you heard anything about the tensions between these two that maybe this wasn't a one-time incident that maybe Suarez is is upset with with Chastain or vice versa? I haven't, but if if I remember the race correctly, didn't those two get into one of the I think it was Chastain pushed Suarez out of the way, or maybe it was vice versa earlier in the race. And it and it wasn't a clean pass. I mean, he got nudged and pushed him out of the way. And I think it was Suarez did that to Chastain if memory serves me right so I wonder if these two are getting along and you wonder what that relationship is like I mean these two drivers they've got fast cars they've shown that they can win and Trackhouse has been really fast this year but man this would be really unfortunate if these two drivers for some reason got into a beef and kind of derailed the success that Trackhouse has had to this point uh, in the season, especially after last year's kind of out of the out of the blue success that they both had. And they just signed extensions, so they're not going anywhere. So it's almost they're going to have to figure this out and be able to work together. Otherwise, it's going to be a uh, an awkward, <laughs> awkward team meetings. Yeah, and, and I guarantee uh, uh, Bob Pockris uh, interviews on Friday at Richmond. Or, or possibly Saturday. I guarantee you this gets brought up and we'll kind of see if they've talked through it this week or how those conversations went. So I also just found some information that Bob Pockers tweeted out on penalties. They increased the penalties, I think, this year. If a car intentionally damages another vehicle on pit road, which I think we could probably say is what Suarez did, could result in a 25 to 50 driver and or team owner points and a 50 to hundred thousand dollar fine wow. so like we've seen with some of these other ones the, the dollar amounts not as as detrimental as the points but we'll see what they come up with probably tomorrow 50 points I mean, would be killer for that team 
that's a that's over a race that's a, over a full race um points wise i'm just pulling up the standings real quick i'm really curious to see where suarez is right now and if he were to get docked 50 points or even 25 points so right now he's 24th in driver points only ahead of 17th by 19 points so if he were to get docked 25 to 50 points he would fall out of the top 16 which would be pretty huge i mean it's still early in the season but that's a that'd be a pretty big hit points wise uh for something so dumb that he did on pit road and granted he shouldn't have done it but uh we'll see if nascar does drop the hammer on suarez for his actions on pit road so looking at the uh, results of the race, stage one was won by William Byron. Stage two, Tyler Reddick. Your winner was Tyler Reddick, and Reddick gets points for most laps led. Looking at Jeff Gluck's poll for Coda, 73% of fans said, yes, it was a good race. That is down from last year. 85% of fans thought it was a good race last year. So, uh, I figured it'd be somewhere between 70 and 80%, maybe even above that, because I did think it was a really good road course race overall until the last couple of restarts. Uh, but it did go down last year or from last year. And I think a lot of it had to do with just the demolition derby aspect of uh, the last couple of restarts. So uh, overall, still a pretty good race. And, and again, we kind of measure it. Anything above uh, 90% is an absolutely fantastic race. Anything between 80 to 90% is a really solid race. Uh, 70 to 80% is good. Anything below that's kind of bad. So it's it was kind of right on the cusp of uh, being good to slash great. I'm actually a little surprised at that. I knew it would take a hit based on the ending. But again, based on the other races that we've seen this year, from start to finish, I thought this was a a, a very entertaining race. So I guess I'm a little surprised that it's that's only 73%, but I guess the the ending kind of put people off. Now let's take a look at our fantasy recap with our commissioner, Mr. Norton. All right, Coda stats this week, you had an average of 81 fantasy points per team. Low score of 11 points by Robert Riggs, number two. That's the lowest ever at Coda. And a high score of 145 points by $25 donation. And that's uh, Matt Dohan, one of Josh's buddies. Your top 10 after Coda. 10th place is Mark Krejci. Knocks his wife out of the top 10. Taylor Schleiss, number one. He's our champion from last year, and he's back in the top 10. He's up 68 spots, so a big move for him. Crazy Dale, number one in P8. Yours truly, Broken Toe Link in P7, up 60 spots. Sixth is Ron Henriksen. Fifth is Melly85 at Amos, 949-29960. Fourth place is Nailed It at Stewart underscore 88. Third, uh, tied for second is Robert Riggs, number two. That's, that's the low score of the week. He is up 22 spots. That's at Robert Riggs, one. Tied for second, Zach Dick, number three, at ZJD88. 
And in first place, Adam Studer, number two, up seven spots to P1. Your top 10 rookies after Coda. 10th is Brandon Watson in position 23. 9th is PC Racing, number two, number two in 22nd spot. 8th is Bobby Bannock in 16th. Also in 16th place is Andrew McLaughlin. 6th best rookie is Pat Brosnahan. 5th is Kenneth Holloway in P12. 4th, Ron Hendrickson in P6. 3rd best rookie, Melly85 in P5. 2nd, nailed it in P4. And your current top rookie is Robert Riggs, number 2, in P2. Your biggest risers after Coda in fantasy, R2-D2 moved up 71 spots from P96 to P25. Taylor Slice, number one, we mentioned him earlier, up 69 spots from P77 to P8. And Dave Brahman, up 66 spots from P81 to P15. Biggest Fallers, $25 donation, down 81 spots from P91 to P172. Second, Craig Ronfelt, number two, down 75 spots from P70 to P145. And third is Cassie, Cassie Rauschenberg, down 62 spots from P91 to P153. Your fantasy drivers, top five fantasy drivers after Coda. I think fifth place might surprise some people. Ricky Stenhouse has got a 12.5 average right now. He's running as an 18-point driver, and he was valued at seven. Fourth is William Byron with a 12.2 average. Third, Ross Chastain with an 8.8 average. Second, Kyle Busch with an 8.2 average. And your best fantasy driver through Coda is Alex Bowman with a seven average. And going down to your bottom five fantasy drivers, 26th is Noah Gregson with a 22.8 average. 27th, Austin Dillon, 23 average. 28th is Harrison Burton with a 26.3 average. 29th, Ryan Priest with a 27.3 average. And your worst fantasy driver, Eric Almarola with a 27.5 average. And that is your fantasy recap after Coda. All right, we move to our race preview, and this week we are headed to Richmond, Virginia for the Toyota Owners 400. I have three Zach's facts for you about the Richmond Raceway in Richmond, Virginia. Zach's fact number one, this track opened in October 1946, and it is known as it was known as America's premier short track. Zach's fact number two, it originally was a half mile dirt track, but was repaved in 1968 with asphalt and reconfigured into a D-shaped oval. So when you watch the race on Sunday, just look at the front stretch. It is a very unique front stretch uh, compared to the rest of the track. And your final Zach's fact of the night in 2010, the track installed a state-of-the-art video scoring tower that boosts more LED square footage than any other in the motorsports industry. So you're seeing a lot of these tracks trying to differentiate themselves from other tracks, whether it be with TVs, uh, whether it be with, uh, you know, these scoring pylons, scoring towers. Uh, so uh, this one does have a big one and something that kind of makes Richmond stand out. It's the second short track of the year. What are your expectations of this weekend's race? 
So I truly don't know what to expect this weekend is it's going to be the second race with the new short track package. The first one uh, we saw was Phoenix and we saw how Phoenix went. It was not a very good race. So uh, the tracks are a little bit different. So um, maybe that will play into Richmond's hands a little bit better than Phoenix. But uh, when you look at last year's races, uh, the best Richmond race, there's two a year and the best one in regards to Jeff Gluck's poll was 70%. So I don't really have a lot of high expectations going into this weekend, but I, I hope that, you know, they've learned something from Phoenix and can implement that here at Richmond and, and make it an entertaining race or at least halfway decent compared to what we saw at Phoenix. When you're looking at the driver stats at Richmond, Christopher Bell leads all active drivers with an average finish of 6.0. Kyle Busch is second at a 7.0, Danny Hamlin third at an 8.4, Kevin Harvick fourth at a 9.7, and Joey Logano with a 10.3. And you look at this past spring race at Richmond, Danny Hamlin finished first, Harvick finished second, Willie Byron finished third, Martin Truex fourth, and Kyle Larson finished fifth. All right, that leads us into our picks for the race. Looking at last week's picks, I had Kyle Larson, who finished 14th. Zach, you had A.J. Allmendinger, who, for the most part, was uh, in the top 10, but finished 34th. And our winner, back-to-back weeks, with Chris Buescher finishing 8th, Mr. Norton. How's it feel to be in second and not in position to spin the wheel? You know, what I determined this week was this this competition we've got going, it's kind of like running from a bear. You just have to not be the slowest. And so far, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good because Zach's picks, and what are you averaging here? Like 24th place, not bad. Pretty solid. <laughs> In my defense, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, the drivers that I've chose – have historically been either the race favorite betting odds favorite for that weekend or in the top five. These picks are not bad. They just have produced really bad results, but it all changes this weekend at Richmond. Your your last two picks have finished 32nd and 34th. That's not good. And, and last Byron, week, top five. Last week we were Adelaide, joking, right? right? I was like, Zach, who, who who's finishing 30th? He's like, nah, 31st place. <laughs> you yeah. got 34th. That's true. Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. Not not good. So the standings, I still have three. Uh, have not done great the last two weeks. Norton, back-to-back wins with two. Zach is a uh, <laughs> Daytona win away from being skunked. So uh, we pick this week here at richmond and the order is norton zach then me so nort who you got for richmond this sunday as much as it pains me i am taking denny hamlin this week wow this is can't imagine going a whole season without it so i have to we're gonna we're gonna change this to the denny hamlin podcast because we got zach over here who's who just agrees with everything he says you're picking him to win. It, this is great. I love this, guys. <laughs> Zach, who who you got? 
You, if you, you probably take Denny Hamlin, you're probably pissed that he took your your pick. No, uh, I'm not mad at that at all. I'm going to go with Kevin Harvick. I haven't used him yet this year. Uh, he's done really well at this race, the last two races, and was really good at Phoenix. So I'm hoping that his success in the past and his performance at Phoenix is parlayed into getting me back on the board this weekend. That's a good pick. I When I saw I was picking third this week, I was like, wow, there's probably no way that that, that guy's going to fall to me. When when North took Denny Hamlin, I thought maybe there was a chance. Uh, so that's a good one. I like that one. I am going to pick somebody that I thought maybe, Zach, you would go with this week that um, you haven't picked yet. You're you're shaking your head like you know, but is it Martin, Martin Truex? Truex, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is Martin Truex. So I, I kind of thought that I would maybe sneak Harvick in there if you went with your heart. But so I'm going to take Martin Truex this week. I'm going to hope that uh, he can at least keep it close to the front and maybe uh, not get wrecked by by Ross Chastain. Yeah, that's a good start. <laughs> that is a good start. All right. So those are our picks for Richmond. Gentlemen, anything, any final thoughts for this week? Just got to hope that this short track package uh, is improved from Phoenix because it could be a long, boring race if it's not. All right. Well, let's look forward to, to Richmond, and we will talk to you guys next week. Have a good night. The Atop the Pit Box podcast is supported by ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Now is a great time to book a trip to Lake of the Ozarks and Paradise Executive Properties has you covered. They have several modern and fully furnished homes that sleep up to 19 people. So bring your friends and family down to create a memory that will last a lifetime. For more information or to book your reservation today, visit ParadiseExecutiveProperties.com. Your day. I lost my mind. I need my spine.